Generations, welcome back to service. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be today. As you just heard from Alex as he read to us, uh, we heard a very familiar story. This is David and Goliath, right? David and the giant Philistine. And so this is a common story to us. I want to give you a, a main idea or a starting point. Culture wants to suck us into their battles and their solutions. God has entirely different ways of solving human problems. Now, let me qualify that a little bit. Culture sucks us in. That, the culture is the thing we live in, the way we engage life with one another. We contribute to culture as well. We're not absent from us. Uh, it's not like we're saying, oh, those guys, right? But the culture we live in, the world that we live in, sucks us in to the problems of the world and the solutions. And then God, what we find in our struggle of our faith is God has different solutions, other ways of solving human problems. And we're going to see that today in this passage. So 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1, says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah, and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. So here we are, picking back up our story. We're 17 chapters into 1 Samuel, and if you go back through Joshua and even the end of Moses' writings in the Torah, what we see is that the people of Israel, the people of God, have been in battle with people. They went in, they displaced people in the land. They did some things obediently, some disobediently. Obediently. We looked at that last week when Saul went into Amalek and he didn't kill the, Amalek king, the Amalekite king and all their animals. He didn't obey God as he was supposed to. But we see this ongoing, perpetual, if you will, battle between the people of God or Israel at the time and the Philistines, one of their neighbors they didn't get along with. And so here is this long-term problem. I want us as we listen today, I want us to consider some long-term struggles that we have. And, and that could be anything current, the pandemic. Uh, it could be racial struggles. We've had a history of racial struggles in our nation. Um, you know, for me, my personal life with my wife, health struggles, right? We've, we've had things that have changed our lives, and it's ongoing. It's long time. And I want us to look at some of those things and look at these long struggles that we've been engaged in now, I want that to be our context, our frame of reference as we read through this. So Israel is in this long battle between them and the Philistines. Verse 4, And there came out from the camp of Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Now, first off, almost zero of those measurements make any sense to us. Uh, best understanding is that Goliath was like nine feet tall. That's what people say. Now, who knows? He's a big man, right? It doesn't really matter that he's a literal giant or he's just a big guy, you know, I just... We think of some of our tallest people, like I think of NBA players that are super taller, so much taller than me, right? And it doesn't matter if they're normal tall or super, super tall. It doesn't really matter. What we've got is this champion named Goliath, a big man for sure. We know he's big. And some people have figured out those measurements, and, and he's a big man, right? 
but he is on the side of the Philistines. He's from Gath. Now, what happens when we read this? When we read about this, whether we understand all the measurements or not, what we get is, and I'm just going to put it this way, the human side of the problem. What we see is a big guy who is a champion fighter. He is a warrior by trade, and he is taunting the people. You've got army versus army. You've got this valley in the middle. It's kind of that calling out place. And then this one guy says, hey, man, I will take anybody you've got. But when we read this passage, what we see is we see the human problem. We see his human credentials. We see his human size. We see with human eyes what the, if you will, human problem is. Verse 8. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come, up to, come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, or are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So here's what he says. You pick your guy, any guy, you have him come down and fight me. Now, there's a bit of a false dichotomy here. There's a, a set of two choices. I'll give you a couple of them. One, choose for a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Is he able to fight with me, then kill me, then we'll be your servants. So you pick a guy, we got a guy. Now, there's two armies there, right? So who says it's going to be a one-on-one -on -one guy kind of fight, right? Like who gets to make that decision? But then he also says this, am I not a Philistine and you are servants of Saul? In our world today, oftentimes we get broken up into categories. Are you black? Are you white? Are you male? Are you female? Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are we not supposed to fight, right? And then there's this false solution or this false limitation. He says, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants, right? There's this false idea of like, here's your only out. Either fight me and win or fight me and lose. If you win, we'll be your servants. If I win, you'll be our servants. So it's, when, you, when you think of this, when God sees Goliath, do you, do you think he gets, feels it like he gets trapped into, I got to find somebody to fight Goliath? When God hears this taunting of this big soldier, does he, does he feel like, man, who do I get to go fight him? Or do you think God just says, I've got all these resources I'm God, and he's just this dude. He may be big for you, but he's just this puny dude, right? I don't have to go by his isolated set of binary options, fight me or don't fight me or this or that, or one-on-one -on -one or army against army. God isn't limited by all that. The same idea. What do you think when, when God looks down at our world today, the pandemic, the, probably the biggest thing globally going on, or big historical issues like the issue of race in our nation, or modern day, which I know this has been going on for a long time, but modern day struggles of the political divisions, right? Democrat versus Republican. I know that's been going on a long time. Or even take the last 18, whatever, 18 and a half years of my wife's and my struggle with her health, right? Do you think when God looks down at these gigantic problems and we've, we've kind of hemmed ourselves into these issues where there's only a couple ways out, do you see God as being limited to what we can see? Or the solutions even that we provide, either, you know, this choice or that choice. Uh, to quote a phrase that's been all, the, all popular today, come on, man, right? Like, like, like there's got to be more choices. Like, you can't just 
push yourself into like, well, you do this or you do this. You vote this way or you vote this way. Or you're on this team or you're on this team. Or you fight me and win and we're your servants. Or you fight me and lose and we're your servants. But the world would push us into these binary false choices, dichotomy like, aren't you a Philistine? Aren't you a servant of Saul? Like, we have to be against each other. Well, we really don't have to be, right? For some reason, they don't get along, but we don't have to be. Or you fight me and win, or I fight you and win. Well, we, we actually have two armies here. We could go to full-scale war, or we could all go home, or we could fight, or whatever, right? And we, we often find ourselves in the world we live in via social media, regular media, political parties, people, whatever. They push us into categories, and then they say, well, if you're in this category, if you're in this category, here's the outcome. Like, these are your only choices, and so we, we find ourselves sometimes drawn into something where the categories are fake and the outcomes are predetermined or at least there's limited amount of choices as if that's it. When God looks down and sees all these things going on, he's got to have more options, right? We know God can do anything. We know that if we are worshipers of God, then we fit into that anything kind of scheme. And so as we see ourselves in our lives, sometimes we limit it. It's being limited here. Verse 11, it says this. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Well, why is Saul afraid? Because the guy on the other side is really big, and he feels like, okay, I have a choice. We either run, and we're their servants, or we fight and lose, or we find somebody to defeat him. He's now fearful because he's living in a false set of choices. Choices not given to him by God, but choices literally given to him by a Philistine. Sometimes we do that to ourselves, and sometimes it's done to us, where the categories and options that we find available to us aren't the only ones we have, but they're the only ones we're told we have. Here's a note for you. False choices, false solutions. Our world of political parties, cable news, and power struggles put us in false categories and limit us to false solutions. God is bigger than that. God is bigger than our assumptions. God is bigger than what we can see with our eyes. God is bigger than the, either the real giant here or the metaphorical giant in our lives. Right? He's bigger than the pandemic. He's bigger than decades or hundreds of years of struggle or decades of health issues or whatever it might be. He's bigger than that. And he's bigger than the two-party political system. He's bigger than this president, the last president, or the next president. God is just bigger than that. Sometimes we limit the situation. Verse 12, now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul into battle, and the names of these three sons who went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and then the third is Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. This verse is this kind of aside. It's like we're going down this story right here, and we're kind of walking through what's going on. And then every once in a while, we jump over here to this story that's taking place in another spot. It kind of like when we watch TV shows, and you're watching this character and this story, and then it jumps over to this other parallel story going on at the same time. This, this verse is kind of like that, but what it's doing for us is it's walking us through this big picture. There's the war, the Philistines, the, 
the Israelite army, and there's the, the valley in between, and here's what's going on, and here's what the king's enduring, and here's what the army's enduring, and here's what they're saying, and here's how they're taunting. But way over here, unbeknownst to everybody else, is David. And this story gives us this glimpse, right? When someone is telling in a, us in a movie, when they're a scene change, they're doing it for a reason. And, and again, this is for a reason. The scene change is to remind us that in the midst of this, God is active. God is doing. Even when we can't see what is going on, God is acting. So we're going through the problem. We see the giant. We hear the problem. There's fear. There's leadership issues. There's all these things but God. Here's David over here, and he's going back and forth, and we're reminded that God is doing something in the midst. Verse 16, it says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. So can you imagine this scene, this valley in between two armies? And for me, I have to think, you know, that big kind of Braveheart scene in a movie where there's these gigantic armies and they're loud and it's, and it's, it's, it's a sight, right? And in the middle is the inevitable battlefield. And it says that this, this Goliath, this Philistine, he is coming out 40 days, 40 nights, he is taunting the army. This is that kind of chaos over, over, over again, kind of instilling fear day after day after day. It's, it's the 24-hour news cycle, it's the social media never stopping. It's the voices that are always hyping our situation. It's that. It's that thousands of years ago. Verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers and ephod this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they, meaning David's brothers, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment and the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. So here's Goliath, again, the giant out taunting every morning and every evening, just calling them out. And then there's these skirmishes taking place in the valley and the army's there kind of ready to go. And yet for whatever reason, not a full out battle yet, but it's, it's dragging out. It's gone on for more than a month now. And you can hear the fear and it talks about the fear being instilled in the people and the people that should be confident, should be being led by God, should be different, better. And yet the story is of their fear. And we hear these things and we can imagine it. Verse 21, it says, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Right? So here's their answer. Battle, army against army. Right? Because that's what's natural. These two warring armies, that's what's natural. Let's go fight. Verse 22. And David left the things in charge of the keeper and the baggage and ran to the ranks and went to greet and greeted his brothers. And when he talked to them, behold, the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. So human answer equals human results, right? You're going to go army for army. Well, then this giant Goliath guy is inevitably going to be your problem. Right? When, you, when you answer your issue with a human answer, human solution, then human outcomes are inevitable. Right? How do we find ourselves in these things? Well, 
we're in this pandemic and, um, and either we do this or we do this and we find these polarizing answers or we, we stay home or, or we get vaccinated and then there's fear of the vaccine or there's, you know, we don't go to school or we do go to school and we have all these things. And I'm not, and again, I, I don't want to be the one who runs the coronavirus world for sure, but when we find ourselves in those, all these are just human answers, right? It, I, I'm, I'm scarce to hear, if you will, God saying, okay, listen, here's what we need to be doing. Instead, what we hear is lots of human solutions. Well, with those human solutions come human problems. So the armies are out to battle, and here comes the giant again. Verse 25, it says, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So again, side note, 17 chapters into 1 Samuel, and these Philistines are still a problem. How many times has the battle gone on? We saw Saul and Jonathan and go out and have a, a victory, and, and before that they had victory, and then they had a loss, and this thing is perpetual, right? And this thing is ongoing. And, and you can imagine if you lived thousands of years ago in this story, as this was taking place, you were an Israelite soldier in this army. You can imagine the thinking is if I go out or if we go out and we defeat them, then this problem's gone, right? If we go out and we overcome their army, we beat Goliath, then then the problem's gone. In fact, even that's what Goliath says. Listen, if you beat us in battle, we'll be your servants. But if not, you're our servants. There's this idea that if we just do this, sometimes that's the solution. But it would seem in our lives and in the lives of Saul and, and David in this era, these problems continue and last and last and last. I mean, we all know this about coronavirus. When we went online only in March, it was going to be for three weeks or maybe a little more, and here we are, almost a year later, or a year later since the virus has been around for sure, more than that. And here we are still struggling through this season. Sometimes problems are here to stay. I don't know what that means for the virus. I don't know what that means for churches. I think updates are coming on that soon. But as we do this, we really don't know what the future holds. Things get better, things get worse. Things go away, things come back. If our solutions are just human solutions, we're going to have problems because the human issue is going to come back. The army is going to return. The virus may return. Verse 26, it says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That comment, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Is this, who is this man who doesn't honor God, Right? that he should defy the armies of the living God, he says. Verse 27, and the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. So here comes David, and at first glance, it looks like David's solution is similar. He buys into the, hey man, I'll just fight him, or somebody needs to fight him, or something needs to happen, and it sounds a lot like what Goliath is putting forward or what the armies are doing. But David is coming from a very different perspective. He talks about who is this guy who doesn't honor God, right? That he should defy the people of God. Like, who is this guy? I think he is compared to God. Not compared to me, compared to Israel, compared to our army. Who is this guy? I think he is compared to God. Who is this one who defies God? David is approaching this very differently. Verse 28. Now Eliab, he, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, 
Why have you come down? And, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, but you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. What are you doing? Like, woman, why are you here? Like, go back, watch the sheep. And David's like, what did I do, right? But he's asking, okay, well, what's going on here? Why is this taking place? Sometimes we, we have to just pause and ask the questions of the place that we're in. And again, I, I love to ask these questions, and sometimes we don't have outcomes we want or have answers. I don't know how to solve the problem of race in America or health issues in America or the world or the pandemic. I don't know how to solve them. Sometimes that's not the point. Anyhow, but how do we live in them? And sometimes we need to stop and just ask questions. Okay, like, what's going on? Like, what are the assumptions being made? Like, what are our choices here? Are there other choices? Who's this guy? And, and what would God do here? And how would God have us live in this moment? As David arrives on the scene, he's asking more of those questions. And he hasn't even said, well, like, why are you doing this or why are you doing this? The only person he's actually questioned is the Philistine who said he's going to overcome God's people. And so David comes in and asks questions. And sometimes, as we know, people get offended just by the questions. Why are you not just assuming I'm right, right? Why are you not just accepting my answer. David's asking questions, but he's asking good questions. Verse 31, it says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he went and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Remember the problem, right? The problem is this gigantic dude, right, who, who wants to fight. He's a soldier. He's been a soldier forever. And he is causing fear in the people. Now, the problem is this, this Philistine-Israelite issue, this army versus army. Here's the thing. There's two teams. They don't get along, and they're going to fight. And then one of the teams, the other team, right, has the big guy, and the big guy calls everybody out, and everybody's fearful. That's that's the problem, right? And so here becomes the answer. You can't fix this. That guy's too big. You're a kid. That dude's been a soldier since he was a kid. He's got a resume to him. You can't fix this. Now, again, hear this from our perspective. Human view of the, of the issue, human view of the solution. With that comes those human limitations. You're not the one to beat the giant. You're not the one who can overcome this problem. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so David, or Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Go, right? Go. Well, okay. Here's what David does differently. He's not just a guy in the army who shows up and says, listen, man, 
I've been fighting for a while. I'll fight the guy, right? It's not a human answer to the human problem. It's, it's a divine view of like, who is this guy who thinks he's going to overcome the people of God? Like, who is this guy who thinks he's going to come upon the people that God has sent here? Well, then who's going to do it? And David said, well, I'll, I'll do it. Like, I've I fought a bear, I fought a lion, but he's not bragging about himself. He's saying, listen, the Lord delivered me from that paw and that paw. The Lord will deliver me from that dude. Like, I trust that God will deliver us. He's got this other view. It's not just human eyes, human lens, human sizing up the problem, human solution, no, no worries. It's, but what about God? What might God do here? And then, well, if God wants this, then God can use anybody. He can use me. I don't care if I'm a kid. He can use me. And so David just says, he just exhibits this faith. He speaks of his faith and how God can work through people. So rather than the human problem, human solution, how God can work through humanity and God be the solution. This ties into kind of that theme of the gospel that we've been talking about. We talk about every Sunday, but last week we kind of walked through that creation, fall, redemption, restoration narrative that, that, that God made us and, and that we're created to be worshipers of God, that our lives are to bring glory to God. Our decisions, our life, our choices are to be things that glorify God. But we've all sinned and we've fallen away from that and we've fallen out of relationship with God. And that's kind of where we see this army right now. They were created to be God's people. And God called them to have an army. And when God sends them out, they're victorious. When they go act in their own, on their own, then they lose. And they haven't figured this out yet completely. And so we see them kind of that fallen view, broken view of God's people. But the story doesn't stop with just creation and fall. It it works us through Christ. It works us through the good news that God loved us enough to even pursue us in the fall, that in our brokenness, in our sin, in our flaws, that God loves us and and pursues us and follows us into those and and brings us out. And as the story, uh, the highlight of the gospel narrative is that Jesus enters into that broken story, the humanity story, the place where the sin is, and he comes in human flesh, and he comes and he lives among us, and that he lives the life that we are called to live, that he perfectly fulfills that calling of glorifying God, of making decisions that bring glory to God, that listening to God before he goes and does things, and and he lives this sinless life. And so Jesus then becomes our perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus gives his life. He, He dies for humanity that our sin might be covered, and then he is raised from the dead that we might have new life. And that's pivotal. It's not just that Jesus comes and we get to be swapped. Now we're not in relationship. Now we're in relationship because of Christ. We don't just get that trait or our sin is just forgiven, but we're still left in this ugly brokenness, right? And that's what we often see. They're God's people, but they're a very broken and and, and flawed version of that. But Jesus has come not just to forgive us of our brokenness and our flaws, but to change us. He died to cover our sins, but he resurrects from the grave. He rose from the dead to give us new life. In fact, his ascension, as he teaches disciples, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to be seated back on the throne of heaven. When I do, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. You're going to have my spirit in you. And we talk about that a lot here. In Christ, we have his spirit. So we're able to live differently, distinctly, other ways. And so when we look at the broken setting and, and we remind ourselves, okay, that's us. And that's, 
Fast forward a thousand years, here we are, the church in America just as broken. In fact, we look just like the broken army of God's people. We're just as divided. We're just as human or, or limiting ourselves just to those human solutions. But God says, listen, didn't I send my son to make you different? Didn't he resurrect from the grave that you might have new life? Don't you have the spirit of God in you? Can't you be the people I've created you to be? The gospel calls us to be different. And sometimes that difference is just knowing this is the problem I can see and, and these are the solutions I can understand, but God's not limited by me. David understands that. David knows that God isn't limited by his small frame or his young years or his lack of war experience. He knows that God isn't limited at all and if God chooses to use him, he's good. So back to the story, verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of bronze on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. So zoom out for a minute. A war, a soldier, a giant. No man wants to step up to him. No human solution, right? So then, then, then David comes and, and knows that, okay, God's not limited by that. So God will use me. He believes in it. His faith says God will use me. So God is going to do it in his strength. God will protect him. But here's what Saul does. Okay, that sounds really good. You go do that. Now let me put, you, let me put my chain mail on you. Let me put my helmet on you. Let me give him your sword, a spear. Let me, let me do all this. Let me give you the human strength to go solve the problem no human could solve, right? David said, listen, it wasn't going to be a human solution anyhow. It wasn't going to be me. It's God who delivered me from the bear. It's God who delivered me from the lion. It's God who will deliver me from the Philistine. Sometimes even when God gives us that, here's what you do, I will do this through you, we try and muddy it up with human additions, if you will. Here's a note for you. Stop fixing God's plan. Saul burdened David with his armor. We mess up a divine plan by putting it in human skin all the time. We don't need to fix what God has already solved. We don't need to fix the problem that God has already fixed. We don't, again, and just imagine it back in this setting. The army couldn't solve the riddle. They didn't know how to unlock the code to get rid of Goliath. They were afraid. They didn't want to go out and fight him. They didn't have an answer. So God says, I'll provide an answer. Here's David, the gospel. I will provide an answer you don't have, Jesus. I will give you the answer you don't have because I'm God and I'm not limited by what you can think of. But then we often, like Saul, add to the problem. Oh, I know I have Jesus, but then let me make a whole bunch of rules I got to live by. Or I know I got Jesus, but then we need political parties. Or I know I got this or I got that. Or I know we've got Jesus, but I, I, I need to be in person or I can't do online. Well, maybe God just wants to work through us. Maybe we quit trying to fix God's solutions by putting on armor and skin and human on God's divine solutions. Back in the passage, verse 40, it says, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. 
His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, and his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. I just want you to imagine the size differential between Goliath and David here. Verse 43, And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, right? This is where everything hits. This is the, listen, come in. And and as soon as you do that, man, that's it. You're beyond being able to turn back, right? Christianity today doesn't always fall short in having a, the faith to seek God for an answer. But oftentimes what I've seen over this last year is we fail in the perseverance part. We see where God is leading us, but then as we get closer to it, it gets a little scarier. As the giant gets bigger, as he comes into view, sometimes we don't have the perseverance behind us, right? If God is God, if God is using us, then God is using us back here when it's safe and out there when it's unsafe, that God is there the entire time. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and all that, the, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand." David isn't bragging about him. This little trash talk that goes on between Goliath and David is Goliath trash talking and and saying, listen, man, I'm bigger than you. I'm going to have this. And then David's saying, but you're not bigger than God. David's trash talk isn't, isn't kind of saying, hey, man, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. He's saying, listen, you're not fighting me. You're fighting God. You're not fighting a small child. You're trying to go in. It's the creator of the universe. David's talk back to him is, listen, you're in the wrong place. You're, you're seeing this as the human problem. I've got a different solution. I have God. Verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love his faith. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. There's this famous quote by Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody has a plan until God sinks a rock in your forehead, right? The plan was really good. He's a big, giant soldier. That's a little boy. The plan was easy, but God. But God intervened, and David sinks a stone in his forehead. Verse 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Just a boy and a rock, empowered by God, overcame a giant and an army. Here's a note for you. There isn't a, you can do it, find your inner inner David story. This isn't that. This isn't a, you can do all things through Christ. This isn't that. It isn't a, find your giant, overcome your giant. It's this. This is a, God doesn't need your army to fix your problems. David points us forward to the rock of God. He finds us in the salvation narrative. He doesn't tell us you can do anything with God in you or around you or maybe because you think about it really hard. 
What he says is God can do this. This isn't about you can do it. This is about God can do it and he doesn't need your help. God will do it his way because Saul couldn't do it. The armies couldn't do it. The people were afraid. So God brought someone from across town. Remember, the narrative's going on here. There was no answer. But over here, God is working. We need to know that in our story today too. The pandemic is going on. Life is going on. It feels like this never-ending perpetual struggle, battle for life over here. But what we don't know is sometimes God's got this plan right over here. That if we'll just trust God and not be trapped into what we can see or what people tell us, that if we can trust God, he's got a plan. There's a sling and a stone right around the corner. Verse 51, then David ran and stood over the Philistines and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I don't know why people don't read the Bible more. You, we Americans, we will sit at home, we will watch these stories where these heroes, you know, fight the terrorists and they do all this stuff. And man, these stories are that. In fact, in these stories, the good guy gets to behead the bad guy. Right? David goes out with a sling and a stone. He defeats the giant. He doesn't even have a sword on him. Takes the giant sword and cuts his head off. Amazing, these stories of what goes on. It's funny that we will watch them in movies, and yet we won't go back and read the historical accounts of what has happened and how God used them, rather than some fictitious thing for entertainment. These stories are amazing, and these outcomes are great. Verse 52 and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way to Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. So happily ever after, unless you're Goliath, right? Or a Philistine or Saul or the coward army. Because really it's not a good day for any of them because a little boy just walked out, or a young boy just walked out, and he was the only one who trusted God enough to allow God to use him. Everybody knows it's not David at this moment. Everybody knows it must be God. So everybody there, especially Saul and the Israelite army, know that could have been me. Like, God could have used me. I'm taller and stronger. God doesn't really need that. It could have been me. So maybe the happily ever part isn't the story after all. Maybe that's not the point. Maybe we're to learn this. As long as we have our eyes on the world, all we ever see is giants and problems. Maybe what we need to hear is Jesus doesn't need our armies or our solutions, but he wants to use you and me. He wants us to be a part of the solution if we will just trust him. He doesn't need our solving it or our providing the way through. In fact, when he gives us a plan, he doesn't even want us to mess with it. Just, just live the plan. Maybe the story isn't this happily ever after, oh, we defeated the giant, but maybe it should be a time of lament. Why didn't God use me instead of David? So fast forward to today. Where do we find ourselves in this? As we live, as we, the church in Southern California, here in L.A. County, Orange County, Inland Empire, and those of you that live stream with us from all over the place, we the church, 
How are we a part of the solution? How are we being the faith-filled people like David, trusting God for the solution, rather than dividing into teams and, and arguing and warring, army against army, human answer versus human answer, sometimes categorizing people and places and things, but rather, how do we become the people of faith that rally together around what God wants to do? How do we learn to ask new questions? Hey, this, this can't be it to all these struggles. Like, there's got to be a way that isn't red or blue. There's got to be a way that isn't this team or that team. There's got to be a way that God leads us all through this, and God does something more amazing. Where can the church today be like David, not trusting in what we can do, but trusting that God can do anything and use us? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you because you came and entered our story and you came in a humble way like a young David, except God in human flesh. And you lived the life that we're called to. You died a death in our place. You gave your life to trade for our sinful, broken lives. You cover our sin. You empower us with your spirit. You give us new life. Jesus, you've handed us everything. You've empowered us. It's just time to throw the rock. It's time to get out there and be a part of the solution. It's not time to go look at the giants or, or look at the problems or be fearful. It's time to be filled by you. Whatever that means for all of us, whatever that means for us collectively, for us individually, for whatever the giants, the armies, the struggles, the problems in front of us are, whatever they are, help us to start asking new things, new questions about what you might be doing and how your faithfulness will play out in our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.